Hello and welcome to Your Active's AgriFood Podcast. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And I'm Paula Andres. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Your Active's AgriFood team. This week, the Commission's fisheries package and more on social conditionality. So welcome back for another episode of Your Active's Podcast. Today we have our, now we can say that, our leading uh, fisheries, <laughs> fisheries uh, well, it's journalist. Official announcement. Yeah, and, and it's actually coming from <laughs> one who used to cover fisheries a lot yes. and now doesn't have time anymore. But uh, it's uh, it sounds like an investiture, you know, like uh, you're the new fisheries uh, journalist in town. Wow. And uh, while we're here with Paula, uh, our colleague uh, in the AgriFood team, which recently She's been covering a lot the fisheries uh, um, dossiers uh, because there was uh, a big package that has been presented. It uh, was presented last week uh, from the European Commission uh, last Tuesday. A big package that included actually four mm-hmm. uh, to- four dossiers. Yeah. Uh, one, the action plan on protect and, rest- and restore marine ecosystems, mm-hmm. a communication on the energy transition of the fisheries and agricultural sector, <laughs> an assessment of the EU common fisheries policy and the EU common, EU common, market, the common organization. market organization. Yeah, It's quite a lot. Huh? Yeah, it was a lot of things uh, to, to deal with in one. What was the most interesting aspect uh, according to you? What, uh, what was more talked about was uh, the the proposal to ban bottom trolling mm. uh, in marine protected areas. So the commission uh, proposal uh, committed uh, or proposed to yeah to ban this uh, this mobile bottom fishing, which is a method of fishing that uh, involves dragging uh, these very heavy nets across the seafloor, um, and and yeah, so their their ambition is to ban this from protected areas by 2030. Um, but yeah, like there, there are a few contentious issues on this. The first one from NGOs is that, um, yeah, they think that by 2030 is too late. If these are marine protected areas, they should be protected now, not in seven years. Um, also, another part of it is that, uh, I don't know if you remember COP15, the, the 30 uh, by 2030. Yeah. We can say a few weeks ago, if I remember, like... Uh, yeah. In January. In January, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there, uh, all the 196 countries in the convention, um, they they committed to reaching a 30% target of protected land and 30% of protected sea oceans by 2030. Um, until now, the EU only has a 10% of protected uh, marine protected areas. So they don't only have to ban bottom trolling from these areas, but they also have to increase it from 10 to a 30%. Yeah, so they actually have to hurry up, basically. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting. In, in, it's interesting indeed this uh, phasing out of uh, bottom fishing uh, in all marine protected areas. But there's uh, there's also another aspect that it's uh, interesting enough, and it's the assessment of new common fisheries policy. Uh, EU common fisheries policy. Uh, for those who don't who don't know, it's a bit like the twin fund of the common agriculture policy so uh, is the one they're they're a bit different uh, because uh, common, common agricultural policy 
has some kind of uh, features like rural development. But common fisheries policy at the moment is the mm-hmm. leading uh, uh, fishery subsidy program at the European Union. It was yeah. re- recently, uh, 10 years ago, actually. Reform. Not so recently. <laughs> <laughs> in, in EU time, it's just you, two administration. Eh? No, no, I'm joking. Uh, yeah, it's not that recently. Um, but we know that there, there was some push, particularly from uh, stakeholders, but also from NGOs, uh, to have something more than just an assessment of the common fisheries policies, uh, like they expected some kind of revision. Yeah, well, uh, so yeah, this is like the main set of rules, you know, that, that manages uh, the fishing fleets and, and the fish stocks and all of this. And it has been in place since 2013, as you said. Um, so basically, the commission decided to not open the Pandora box and to and to implement it better mm-hmm. instead of uh, reforming it, because at the end, this is up to member states to implement and many things have not been properly implemented, uh, according to the Commission. So, so the Commission thinks uh, it's not time just because uh, yeah, there's still a lot to do exactly. with the previous report. Okay. Yeah, and actually NGOs were in favor of, well, some NGOs were in favor of, of it, of uh, implementing the rules that we have instead of changing them. Uh, and then... On the other hand, some industry groups actually um, were, were saying that these rules are now obsolete um, and that better implementation is not, is not an option and that it should be reviewed because the situation has changed a lot in 10 years for them. Yeah, just, just to make an example, the now famous, I mean, for, for people working in the fisheries sector, it's quite famous, but the landing obligation, oh which is God. this... Uh, I remember how uh, when you explained to me the landing no, obligation. <laughs> and to, if you think about it, any obligation came into force only in 2019. Yeah. So the, And it's still far from uh, an application. Yeah. Remember, so for instance, this is an example of uh, what the commission is saying. Like, uh, uh, there's still a lot to do when it comes to the implementation of the the 2013 common fishery policy. And uh, one last thing, Paola, uh, on the fisheries, there was also uh, something on the um, decarbonization yeah. of the sector. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the commission, along with all these files, they presented the plan for energy transition, which is the plan to decarbonize fisheries uh, and become climate, climate neutral by 2050. Um, so right now, the fisheries sector is highly depending on fossil fuels, according to the Commission. Uh, and additionally, the sector emitted more than 5 million tons of carbon dioxide in 2019. So the Commissioner said that reliance, uh, reliance on fossil fuels, fuels it's actually the biggest danger for fishers uh, today, as it is. Um, so, so yeah, this plan is supposed to encourage um, uh, fishing vessels and the fishing sector to 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 look for alternatives and to move towards uh, low carbon uh, ways of fishing. Actually, a few weeks ago, before before this this for this report, this commission package was announced, uh, Oceana, uh, an NGO in Brussels, uh, released a report where they identified that um, bottom trolling. The, the same as we were talking about before, um, is the most fuel-intensive fishing technique in the EU. So actually, the ban of this of this 
practice of this method would could uh, yeah would play that, to yeah. these two kind of sides of the so there's uh, a lot to digest about this package but uh, there are also lots of things to um to actually assess in the next uh, months uh, let's uh, stay tuned on your active because we have our specialist our <laughs> <laughs> Fisheries journalist <laughs> Fernandez is ready to bring you the latest news on uh, all everything about fisheries in the EU. Starting this year, some member states are linking for the first time EU farming subsidies to social and labor standards. The measure, known as social conditionality, will be mandatory in all EU countries as of 2025. The three countries, France, Italy and Austria, have voluntarily opted to introduce the measure already this year. Spain and Portugal are set to follow in 2024. First proposed by the Socialists in the European Parliament, the measure is expected to incentivize better working conditions in farms. However, the lack of a harmonized sanctioning system has already raised concerns. The level of sanctions imposed is decided at a national level, and it is deemed as very low for stakeholders such as the European Federation of Food, Agriculture and Tourism Trade Unions, or EFAT. We spoke with Enrico Somalia, Deputy General Secretary of EFAT, about the implications of the social conditionality for agricultural workers and what should be done to ensure it lives up to its potential. Hello, Enrico. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, let's jump to the first question. So with the new social conditionality, can we start talking about a third social cap pillar? Yes, I think we can uh, definitely say that uh, this is something that uh, everybody agrees with, including uh, those organizations uh, that uh, are more disappointed by the last uh, cap reform. And of course, uh, we agree with such a disappointment to, to a certain extent, particularly when it comes to to the environmental dimension. But at the same time, um, yes, it is the first time in history that uh, um, the European institution had decided uh, to uh, take in, into account the dire reality that uh, farm workers uh, face in Europe. Actually, it's the first time in history that uh, the word uh, worker, uh, agricultural workers, uh, is part uh, of the text, uh, of the legal text uh, of uh, the common agricultural policy. So, as you know, um, before, uh, uh, workers have never featured during the common agricultural policy, despite we talk about a policy which uh, represent, which covers an important part of the EU budget, and despite we talk about uh, a sector which is among the most precarious ones in, uh, in the European economy. And uh, uh, this is why, unsurprisingly, the common agricultural policy has uh, never uh, delivered for agricultural workers. So now we have uh, definitely an opportunity. We have a new pillar, a new social pillar. Uh, so, social conditionality is an important aspect of this social pillar, the most important one, of course, but then there are also additional elements like uh, the possibility for member states uh, to intervene and to invest uh, in sectoral interventions, uh, using cap budget to improve uh, working conditions in specific sectors or otherwise we have also a different role for farm advisory services that have to provide information to employer on uh, their obligations uh, uh, with respect to agricultural workers. So we have a whole pillar that uh, can already start delivering immediately now and that definitely in the next reform we can keep working on it uh, to ensure that uh, it uh, uh, 
helps really in rising labor standards uh, in the agricultural sector. So can you run us a little bit uh, through how will it work in practice? How can this pillar support, for example, seasonal workers and agricultural workers, uh, which are the, some of the most hit uh, by labor exploitation and precarity? Well, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a system that applies to all workers in the sector. So whether we are seasonal workers uh, uh, or whether we have workers, we are workers with a Uh, with an open-ended contract and employed in the sector throughout the whole year, uh, it applies to all of them. There is a set of uh, EU rules, a uh, set of EU uh, directives, uh, um, in particular two uh, about health and safety. And then there is the a very important directive, which is the Transparent and Predictable Working Condition Directive, uh, that are directives that uh, are transposed everywhere uh, at national level. Uh, One of them, this uh, transparent and predictable working condition, that still has to be transposed in several member states, but is going to be an important piece uh, of legislation. And basically, the whole system relies uh, on the existing control system, existing uh, uh, labor inspections and, and controls on, uh, on working conditions. And uh, basically, whenever there is uh, a violation of workers' rights, which is uh, identified, then the uh, responsible body for that specific control has to inform the paying agency about uh, the uh, violation of uh, that has been identified and has to communicate uh, the level of sanction that uh, should apply. And the sanction, according to the, to the, to the EU regulation, uh, should uh, correspond to a deduction in cap payments that can uh, uh, go to the, up to the total extent uh, of the top, uh, subsidies that uh, the employer has uh, received. So it's a, it's a system that relies on existing controls uh, and uh, that works uh, uh, according to the sanctuary. And uh, it, can, uh, it can deliver because we talk about uh, uh, money, we talk about important money for, uh, for employers. And uh, it's a system that uh, can be key for uh, agricultural workers, can be key for the sector to raise labor standards, but it's also a system that uh, can definitely help uh, all responsible employers in the sector. So all those employers that uh, respect the workers' rights has nothing to be afraid uh, about social conditionality. And uh, on the contrary, they should support uh, these, new, these new rules because it can really represent uh, an added value also, also for them. We have seen that the agricultural labor situation can vary quite a lot depending on each EU country, and so does the sanctioning system. So how can this impact the implementation of the measure? And is there something that can be done at EU level or can be, let's say, standardized at EU level? Yes, we can say that uh, um, there are uh, differences uh, across member states, but in general, this is a sector which is extremely precarious. This is a sector where uh, agricultural workers, uh, in particular seasonal workers, uh, face uh, uh, very challenging uh, conditions, uh, major problems concerning uh, precarious work, major issues concerning undeclared work. Uh, we have problems concerning housing conditions. Of course, we have also very good examples, but uh, compared to the other sector, uh, unfortunately here, in the agricultural sector, we have uh, an important proportion of workers which uh, are facing uh, Uh, challenging conditions. So um, that's why uh, we have pushed very much to have such, a, such an instrument at full level. Uh, when it comes to uh, the heterogeneity, uh, the way uh, social conditionality will, be, will apply throughout uh, countries, I think the only difference will be uh, the, uh, 
the way inspections are carried out. Because at the end, the, the rules, uh, the, the social legislation that is part of the of the scope of social conditionality is going to be the same. Uh, so yes, uh, we will have we will have different uh, controlling system depending on the on the country. But at the same time, uh, I don't think that this uh, heterogeneity can be used as an excuse not to act, not to implement social conditionality in a given country. Because as as I was saying before, if I am a responsible employer and my country implements social conditionality, I have nothing to be afraid about. On the contrary, I have to be very happy because this can be a tool to tackle uh, even unfair competition and social dumping in the sector, which is something that if I am a good employer, something which is affecting me. So uh, heterogeneity cannot be used as an excuse. And to reply to your question, well, I think the Commission can definitely play a key role in harmonizing the sanctioning system. Um, the, the Commission has uh, uh, even an interest and a responsibility to act in this respect, especially for the reason that I was mentioning before, because social dumping across member states exists in the sector, and this can be an additional tool. And in the legislation, um, in, the, in the CAP regulations, actually there is a possibility for the Commission to act on a delegate, with a delegated act uh, to harmonize the sanctioning system. And I think the Commission can, uh, first of all, should first of all push member states to implement such conditionality as soon as possible, but then should immediately act also to harmonize uh, this system. Finally, at the national level, could you tell us a bit more what are your country's ambitions looking like? Are there some countries that are more ambitious than others, uh, for example, on how to apply the social conditionality? So, yes, we have uh, a group of countries that uh, is going to implement social conditionality already from 2023, and these are Italy, France, and Austria. Uh, and a second group of countries will uh, implement social conditionality from 2024. These are Spain and Portugal. And then, uh, for the time being, all the other countries uh, will uh, be obliged. Uh, the main problem we face uh, at the moment is uh, the sanctioning system, the level of sanctions at decided at the national level and the problem our affiliates are facing in the discussion they are having with the government is that uh, the sanctions are proposed by government are too low and they don't respect uh, the requirements of EU rules of EU regulation and uh, this is a this is a major problem because uh, if you are going to have uh, sanction levels which are too low it means that uh, the old system run the risk to be ineffective. And uh, uh, it would really be a, a lost opportunity uh, because, uh, um, as I said before, uh, um, this is a, a mechanism that uh, would uh, help the agricultural agricultural sector to be better. We it will help in raise labor standards and it would uh, help in particular responsible employers, which are the vast majority. In Europe, and that respect the workers' rights and labor standards, but face unfair competition by all those employers that uh, don't. And therefore, uh, it's very important that also the commissions take a lead in uh, harmonizing the sanctioning system throughout Europe, uh, respecting the, the standards that apply and the rules that apply according to the uh, EU legislation. And in this respect, as a fact, we have already adopted position on the sanctioning system uh, with uh, clear rules and clear percentage that should apply to, with respect to uh, every violation of uh, workers' rights. Our proposal takes into account uh, 
uh, the severity of the violation, the extent, uh, uh, how many workers are affected, and also the intentionality or, or non-intentionality of the of the violation. So um, our demand is uh, to launch as soon as possible a dialogue with the European Commission in order to ensure that the sanctioning system is uh, harmonized throughout Europe uh, as soon as possible, because this would uh, really help also member states uh, in uh, uh, launching their such a conditionality system in uh, the fastest possible manner and uh, also in an harmonized uh, way. So social conditionality, to conclude, is uh, an important uh, tool, uh, an important achievement of uh, uh, trade union uh, workers uh, in agriculture, but also many allies that have supported us throughout, this, uh, uh, throughout the negotiation at European level. And now it's really the time to ensure that this system works uh, in practice. And uh, from our side, we are at full disposal to ensure that this is the case. That's all from us this week. Uh, this week, like every week, the podcast was produced by Euractiv's AgriFood team. That's Paul Andres and Gerardo Fortuna with the technical support of Euractiv podcast producer Evi Chiori. This podcast is also available on all major streaming platforms, including Spotify, Amazon, Apple and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news in the EU. I'm Paul Andres. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Mm-hmm.